0: I've suffered from anxiety since I was a kid, driven by diabetes. Because when your blood sugar levels are low, you're all over the place. But when you're high, I actually get more agitated and irritated. You know, you, you think of someone with diabetes, you don't think that, oh, they probably have anxiety. Pretty sure they do, like, in some form.
1: John T. Brown is proof that living with diabetes doesn't have to hold you back in life. Since taking up running just a few years ago, John T has completed several ultra marathons, raising money for the diabetes charity JDRF, and he also holds the accolade of being the first type 1 diabetic to run coast to coast across England.
0: I remember getting to about mile 20, and I was just really nauseous, and I was like sick. And Mark, being Mark, he's such a good runner, and he was just like, let's just get this done. Because, like, longer out here, last time you'll have to rest, last time you'll have to recover.
1: T does all this whilst managing a lifelong condition that means he has to keep in constant check with his body. It's something he's lived with since he was 12, and the consequences of not managing his condition can be fatal.
0: So there's no book. So you can't go, this is what you need for this kind of thing, because everybody is different. That's why I always try and encourage people to get the technologies, go for your runs, constantly test it, and work out what you are to try and encourage people to, to show that they can do anything that they want to do in life because we now have the technologies to prove that and assist.
1: How Jonty has not let diabetes stop him in life is the main focus of this conversation. We discuss his epic run across England where he started and finished with a beach cleanup, how Jonty coped with being diagnosed at such a young age how he has challenged himself to take on a self-supported 100-kilometer run and how John T also devotes so much of his time to sharing advice about running with diabetes online.
0: It's tough. It's horribly tough. I will not wish it upon anyone. And there's things that I've learned since running through diabetes that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. So if I've already learned these experiences, if I can then pass that on and, and if I can help someone just by making a little reel that might take me 20 minutes, that's that's
1: why I do it. That's all coming up on episode seven of Great British Adventures. I've been trying to work out uh, where it's best to start your story. Mm-hmm. And I think the more I've learned about you, the further back in history, I think it's important to start Okay, to the point where actually I think fundamentally we have to start where you were born, mm-hmm. which is? Harrogate. You're a Northern lad. From, I am. From Yorkshire.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, born and bred. I was there till 11, then we left for a year and then came back and then there until 18. On and off, pretty much.
1: Harrogate is very close to the Yorkshire Dales, National Park. It is. And near the Dale, the area of outstanding natural beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up in those early years, were you aware of how special you, a place you were in?
0: No. No, not until even until recently when you, I don't know if you experience it, but when you go back home at first, you used to be like, God, why am I back here? But now you go back and you're like, I think it might be just because I'm now a runner. You go back and you're like, wow, it's beautiful. The the access to trails or um, just the wildlife is like completely different. You can't experience that down here, I don't feel. Yeah. Yeah, it's the closest I think you can get to, I guess, wild in a way. But just because i because I've lived in other places as well it's that kind of wild is so hard to get to anywhere else, so it, I guess Yorkshire's
1: probably the closest, especially like the lakes you've been up there been to the lakes i've I've touched into the in Yorkshire Dales, but no, I don't know it in into too much detail, yeah, tell me about it. Tell me what you love about it like that I'd like to say that wild
0: that when you're on your own because if you go like anywhere, even around here, and you go on a little bit of trail, you're only about 10 minutes away from a pub or civilization. But there, you can actually get past all that and get into the middle of nowhere and just be on your own and no past, no just running around in the fells. and yeah, It's beautiful. Silence. And-
1: were you ever taken out when you were young?
0: Yeah. yeah. We used to go to a place called Apple Treewick quite a bit, which is a beautiful stream. Used to jump in one end and just sit there like that. Go down the rapids and into the pool. It was fun.
1: Yeah, and your parents actually took you out of school. Yeah. When you were you were young.
0: Yeah, so my dad grew up in Australia for sixteen years. And then we wanted to try and move back there. But because of the the way that the visas changed and my grandparents never actually get, got him a passport, it was really difficult. So Instead of moving there, because the laws changed, we ended up going traveling for about six months to a year. And we did Hong Kong, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and the Americas.
1: Did that open your eyes to what the world has to offer to you? Massively, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I learned stuff when I was there that I wouldn't have never learned in school. Um and Australia, there's that. I was very lucky because my family friends were there and we were always stayed with them. They're so welcoming and fun and everything's outdoors and there's always something to do and active. And having that experience was amazing, especially for a kid. So I even remember coming back to school and I was in a science class and they're like, right, because you haven't been in school for a while, we'll put you in like a normal, the normal set, see how you get on and then we can adjust it from there. And I remember being in the class and it was, there was something about leverage and we were in the middle of nowhere in Australia in my uncle's farm and we were trying to get this tractor wheel off and we were probably five hours drive to anywhere and we couldn't get this wheel off, this nut was stuck and he goes, go get that pipe over there. So we went and got the pipe, brought it back to him, stuck it on and literally just pulled it and it just came off. And obviously that leverage, the longer you have, the easier it is. And I was the only person in the class to know the answer, and that was purely because I was out there doing my thing.
1: You showed them up. Showed them up. You showed school that you yeah. don't need school. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you obviously do, but yeah, that was a good experience.
1: Were your parents very active and outdoorsy? Uh, yeah, my my dad's an interior designer
0: and artist, um, but because he's got he's riddled with um, arthritis and he's had to have new joints and. All his pretty much every single joint in his body has been roboted, and uh, but my mum was a childminder, so we were always out and about just to keep everyone active. And I'm, you know, a bit of a crazy kid, so I was always like, you have to be doing something. So b- it would be at football or um, any sport under the sun, I'd be doing it. And so, yeah, we were always outside as kids, but never running. As in, like, I would always find that the right chore. You know, if you do something wrong about it, right, do some laps. Boring. Yeah.
1: Running as a child is never really positioned as a fun thing to do.
0: No. But then now you, you but I think because of social media and stuff and in the communities that we're in through running, when you see these kids, like fell running kids doing it, I'm like, God, oh, wish I was doing that. That was sick. They're like 10 and they're just running around fells, just sprinting down hills. Well, that could have been cool, but I just don't know if it was like a. I don't know if this is a bad way or a good thing now, but it's like running has come cool. When I remember it, it wasn't like a cool thing to do, you know. It'd either be football or rugby or tennis or whatever, but now it's kind of like a it's a cool thing. Now, I guess it's like the older people looking
1: down on the these young
0: kids doing it, and people being like, "You're sick."
1: I, probably social media is, is is to to thank for that um once once something becomes trendy and people see other people doing it and mm. inspires them to do the same, which I think is one of the things that you've uh, you've taken on board for through your your life is actually utilizing social media and actually inspiring positive change, which we'll come on mm. to uh before then um you you mentioned your time abroad when you were taken out of school and you you saw some of the world you came back was it you were about eleven or twelve at the time yeah and that must have been a very crucial time in your life because that's actually when you had a diagnosis of, of type 1 diabetes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I was... Because I used to play football um, like a lot and I went through like the academy through Leeds United and when we, when I came back I, I was captain of the football team and we went to like a a retreat for a weekend and I was always a, a skin, skinny kid and I, I remember going and... For the whole two days, just I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I needed a toilet like all the time. I was drinking so much water and I came back and we went straight into a match and our parents were all there at the game and my mum was like, yeah, you you don't look good. (laughs) And I went and played the game and it was the first time I'd ever not played a full match and it was halfway through and I was like, I can't. And that's when my mum my goes, let's take you to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and then they diagnosed me there with type 1 diabetes when I was 12. And not knowing anything about it other than one family friend ha- knew, that we knew had it. And I just remember her just being in hospital all the time just because she was, wasn't controlled. And then me just f- thinking, well, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing now for and it was a bit, big shock, big, big shock. And it was obviously a huge change in in my life, but then also, like, obviously
1: my parents' lives and stuff, so. How do you remember feeling when you were... Because that's such a young age to you not even understand how the world works yet, and the mm. world has changed completely for the different. It's turned on its head.
0: Yeah. I'm, um, I think at the time it was you just kind of got on with it well as you had to but I can't really remember it that well I remember being in the hospital and like, having friends visit me but I can't really remember it too much I think I must have just like blocked it out or something but you got to get on with it You're like it's it's nothing that you can just go oh, I'll just do it tomorrow it's something that you have to do straight away because there's so many other consequences if you don't control it that it can happen and yeah. I was I was very lucky. I was like, supported by an amazing amazing team at Harrogate Hospital, um Janet Carling, um and Rob and then my parents and family. So yeah, super supportive,
1: which is very lucky. Okay. Let's talk about um diabetes then, type 1. Mm. About 8% of people live with it in the UK. It's a very serious condition and it's a lifelong condition. Yeah. As of yet. Yeah. Who knows, who knows what science will bring, but yeah. fundamentally, once you're diagnosed with it, you're going to live with it and yeah. you have to manage it. Mm-hmm. So for, I don't. I'm, I've been trying to work out myself, and I'm I hope, glad you're here to talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, from what I understand, type one diabetes it, it causes a level of glucose in your blood to become too high. Yeah. It, so what it is it's? It pretty much for type one,
0: it means your pancreas isn't working correctly, so it can't regulate the blood sugar levels that you have. So whether it be you have too much sugar, like you've eaten too much, or um, you haven't got enough insulin on board, your levels will go high and there's no way for it to bring it back down. So then what happens is you get a thing called ketone acidosis, which means your blood pretty much starts turning into acid. And it's, it's, I've had it once and it was horrible because you get this weird pear taste in your mouth and the only way to stop that is by getting giving insulin. And then there's the other way which is if you have too much insulin on board um and not enough sugar and that's when you go into a low and that's when you can have I've had it twice where we've had two like fits or seizures and but then if you do go too low that's when a lot of people have fatalities and they you know if they don't get it seen to. So yeah it's it's pretty pretty hardcore like you've got to keep it well balanced all the time and especially as a kid that was quite hard especially you know when you're going through like puberty and you're growing up and you you want to seem normal or you you're in a class and then you realize that you're going high but you don't want to cause a scene by giving some insulin or whatever so you just like leave it and just let it happen and then next thing you know you're like your levels are really high which is which isn't good did you have yeah. to
1: learn about taking control over it and and yeah, and being proud at least to kind of it be who you are? Yeah,
0: I'd only say that's like of of recent. Um, even when I was a kid, it was you know you just you just have, it's easier not to. It's easier to ignore it.
1: So for you, life is is in a constant balance between sugar highs, sugar lows, mm-hmm. or sugar highs and insulin highs, would it be? Yeah. Um, you need to, your insulin to reduce your sugar, but yeah. too much insulin is bad for you as well. Yeah. So it's a constant battle. How did you manage that as a kid? What, were you, what techniques were you using to keep yourself in balance? So technology wasn't really...
0: Uh, yeah, it was nowhere near its peak at the time. So it was literally just... Insulin injections and finger pricks. So I used to think like at points I'd finger prick, you know, 30, 40 times a day if it was bad. But you like average it about 10.
1: That's to get a sample of blood so a you blood could measure it. To test. Yeah. 30 yeah. times a day.
0: Yeah. Because if you if you wake up in the morning, you, you do it. And then if you're like, I don't know, hell anxious that day or whatever, you might do it again like every half an hour or something. And then, you know, it can accumulates quite a lot. Because it's not,
1: it's, it's not having access to real-time data that you're in that area of uncertainty, yeah. which is what is causing you to check again mm. and again.
0: Yeah. Right. But yeah. Not,
1: you don't have enough fingers for 30 times a day. No,
0: so you'd, you'd go around. I don't know if you've even got... I've probably got like little hard bits still from when I was a kid. Yeah, it's just crazy. So each finger would be getting multiple pricks. Yeah, you try and like... I remember you try trying like to change it every time, but then you get used to that one that doesn't hurt. So you just do it into that one. But then the diabetic nurse would be like, that one's getting hard. Like, you got to make sure you're doing mother. And then in the in- insulin injections, I used to do six a day at times, mostly about four. But if you have, I eat a lot because I'm an active kid. So I used to like inject a lot. So that's that was the hard bit. It's actually had, uh, had needle phobia. I still do I hate needles. I watch TV and girlfriend has to be like, you know, when I'm watching because I don't, I can't watch needles. And these
1: insulin injections were needles.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I have to do it myself. How it big horrible. were the needle? Six mil. Okay. I used to, ha- I used to have the smallest ones because I was thin. Uh-huh. Like that tiny little jab into your leg,
1: right, or your tummy. Would you have to trust that the mathematics of your calculations of blood sugar and insulin was yeah. correct? that's it. So if you have
0: something that you maybe not have had before, like some food, and then you'd have to test constantly afterwards to make sure that that was the correct amount of ca- insulin given for the carbs that you took. So it was a constant. It, it's like from that, there is a lot of understanding now that That's why I was such an anxious kid. And like ADHD was bad. Like the diabetes is caused like a massive change in that. I think I probably wouldn't have had it if it wasn't for that.
1: How has technology evolved then? Um, What, What do you
0: have now? I am lucky. I am on an insulin pump. I've been on it for about 50, about 10 years. I think the insulin pump, which is literally, I'll show you. It's um, it's connected to me, my backside. It's this little fella. For people that aren't lis- are listening and not viewing, it's a little Tamagotchi looking. It, thing. Is, it
1: looks like an old MP3 device type yeah, thing. Like a little pager in I the nineties, yeah. Um, and
0: that's connected to my backside, and then I change that every three to five days into different sites, and then that whenever I need insulin, I just press a couple of buttons. And it gives me insulin instead of needles um and then instead of finger pricks now that I've got the freestyle Libra, which is on the back of my arm um
1: this is what they they call the continuous glucose monitors
0: uh yeah, similar okay so no, those similar. ones um do it continuously and update your pump um but to get onto those, you have to be you have to like qualify for it um' it's not always free through the NHS yet. But if you're pregnant, they give it to you, which is really good. Or if you have like other conditions, they'll put it on to you. So the free. one you've got is? This is the Freestyle Libra. So this is, um, it is, yeah, it's a blood glucose testing monitor, but I have to scan it with my phone to tell me what it is. But there is a new one coming out, the Freestyle Libra 3, which is a continuous, which actually just, instead of having to scan, you just look at your phone and it'll tell you exactly what you are all the time which is amazing, which is such a huge change.
1: And the scanning is, is kind of giving you a reading, a live reading. Yeah. But yeah. The, you're hoping that it would be a continuous yeah. live feed almost. Yeah. yeah. I've been told that so
0: you can connect to your watch. Mm-hmm. You and obviously as a runner, we're just obsessed with our watches. So I could look down now and it could tell me like it just a quick glance oh. and it would tell me what I am. And then if it's like, it'll tell me if I'm going up or if I'm going down or if I'm staying stable. And then by that, I can then adjust it with my with my pump.
1: So when your blood sugar is too high, yeah, you can pump in some insulin. Yeah, which you can do from a touch of a button now. Mm-hmm. When your blood sugar is too low, or is it your insulin's too high? Which is the when, when my levels, my blood sugar levels are too low. Okay, so when your blood sugar levels are too low, yeah, what do you need to do? Sugar. Do you need yeah. to get any form of sugar
0: into your body, sort of. So as a kid, we used to be like, you know, you could have anything like chocolate for instance, yeah. but chocolate's actually a slow-release sugar. So you learn all these, and you actually understand nutrition quite a lot more because of it. Um, but yeah, I have glucagel or dextrose tablets, or you can have like a glass of orange juice. But I found for me a banana works really well if it's not like a real low. You, like sometimes you find yourself needing sugar, and you're there just pouring like agave syrup in your mouth, which is actually... I was speaking to my girlfriend the other day about this and she was like, we're discussing sweets. And I was like, I hate sweets. I just don't like them. But I think it's because when I was a kid and when you go low, you have to have sweets to like boost you up. So I've constantly have them. I have like, I've I've had a sugar tablet this morning when I woke
1: up because I was low. And it's just, it's not what you want all the time. Well, in part of your diet, do you have to avoid high sugar foods because of the peaks? No, because
0: I've got the pump now. So the pump, so if I actually live quite a low carb diet anyway, I just find it works better for me. Um, but if I was to have like a pizza, I could just pump in two lots of insulins and it would do it for me um, because they're, they're actually slow acting carbohydrates. Like rice, it's it's a delayed Carbohydrates. So I'd give myself a little bit to keep me through that. And then in about an hour's time, it will kick in again.
1: Clearly, this is obviously a big part of your life. It's something that is, it's, as we said, it's lifelong. Yeah. And you're in constant balance. Um, how does running and exercise affect your condition? I personally think this is why I, I do like everything
0: on social media because I want to encourage people to do it because people with type one diabetes, you're less likely to do stuff because you might be worried that you go out for a run and you're gonna go low. And it's just, it's a horrible feeling. So like you'd do anything to avoid it. But I find with running, it balances it. It gives you a constant balance and it just makes it easier to control because you're in a routine and you know what you're doing. It's so beneficial. Like it's, it's amazing. Mm. It's It makes it a little bit harder when you do like the ultra runs. And if you're doing bigger runs or, or even... It, it's always hard, but with running and diabetes, I think it helps. Me, for sure. But everybody's different.
1: Yeah. Well, you've certainly done some epic things that are kind of testament to what you can do with type 1 diabetes. Yeah. Let's move on to that. Mm-hmm. You actually... Came to running very late in life. Um, you were a lockdown runner.
0: Yeah. I was in, just living just outside London with my sister. Um, my sister, her husband, and ne- my, well, There's only one nephew at the time, Jacob. And he was three. And because I wasn't working, I was just pretty much sole carer for him. So my sister and my brother-in-law could work. And he's just like me. So annoying as hell. So the only thing that I had to do was like go for a run just to get away for a little bit. Because I don't know if you if you remember that all gym equipment was so expensive, so I was like I'm gonna start running, and I don't know if you remember that five you run five k, you donate five pounds and you nominate five people. Yeah, someone nominated me to do it, and I was like okay, but then I was like right I'll do it every day for a so week. Was
1: this before you ran or you yeah, just got into running?
0: Before I ran,
1: so you weren't even running. Someone nominated you to run five k. Yeah, I used to do CrossFit a lot,
0: so I was like my fitness
1: was good but
0: not cardio fitness so that was the
1: inception point
0: yeah yeah so then went did that and then just got wildly addicted to it so
1: you ran 5k how many days for seven she so did a whole week of 5ks you yeah th- you thought okay i'm not a runner but 5k is not enough challenge for me mm. i'm gonna do it every day for seven days mm. that and was got, that must have been injured. a big that must <laughs> yeah I was gonna say, that must have been a big challenge for you at that time
0: yeah yeah and then i got injured and then during or after after or during it was about five days and I was like I'll keep going and I was like I can't this is really bad and then I stumbled across my friend Alex Morell, who's a physio and he did this thing called a running foundation course and then what it is it's 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 a starting point to like a running to your running so like you're building this strong base that everybody needs to have good mobility and good function when you're running so I was like I'll do that and then while I sat in bed being miserable because I was injured and I couldn't do anything, I called my friend, Sam Jones, and no I meet Disco. And I was like, do you want to come and do a challenge with me? And he was like, yeah. And then I decided to be the first type one diabetic to run across the UK,
1: yeah. That was all from running 5k yeah. for seven days in a row?
0: Yeah. I've always wanted to do something like crazy or silly. And I like a challenge and it's a good focus point. And yeah, I guess I quite like being in a limelight and I did that and it was amazing. So yeah,
1: and then that went into 18
0: months of training and cracked onto
1: it. Yeah. What I actually really like about um, your story is that you didn't just kind of just do this the next week. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, let's just do this. I think I can run. Cross country, mm. next month, let's say. You actually had a long time leading up to this. Yeah. A long time for you to prepare, to train, to build a social following, to tell your story, mm-hmm. to set your values and your vision of what you wanted to achieve from that from that run. Let's break that all down. Yeah. First of all, why did you choose Coast to Coast? This is uh, from... You went from uh, the West Coast. St. B's. St. B's in Cumbria to... East coast, Robin Hood's Bay. Yeah. This the Wainwrights. is the Rainwrights coast to coast tour, 192 miles across England.
0: Yeah. So I was trying to think of something, a challenge to do, something like memorable. And then I thought, why not run across the UK? And then I remember my uncle Bob walking the Wainwrights trails. And, and I was like, oh, look into that. And then it was 192 miles. And I was like, that's not that bad. Like that doesn't seem too bad. And also you get to run across Yorkshire, the Lake District, Yorkshire Moors. It's very close to home. Close to home. Mm. And then that's when I was like, right, I'll do it. But in 18 months, because then it gives me time. I won't, I want to do it in summer, but I'll do it in the following summer.
1: That's a very wise decision, I think, because it did help you set out a lot. First of all, um, your training Mm. because this wasn't just a flat run across country. It was over the Lake District, the the Dales, the the Moors. There was going to be some serious, rugged terrain. And as someone who hadn't run at all for much of their life, it probably would have been a shock to your system if you'd have started it It a few months down the line. Yeah, still was a shock, to be fair. But yeah, it was a good decision
0: to do it, I think. 18 months is a... a I actually want to go back and do it again because... I did it in seven days. And looking back now, I'm like, I could definitely do that in about three or four, I think. Which would be nice. Do it the other way? No. No, because coming west to east, you get the hills out of the way. Okay. The, the, the and then it kind of flattens out of it, right? Yeah. On right. the east side, it's quite flat. But yeah. And then because I wanted to do it for charity, I've always wanted to do something for charity. I called Janet Carling, my diabetic nurse, and I was just like... Right, love, I've decided to do this thing. I need help. Who shall I raise money for? And she just goes, JDRF, which is Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation.
1: What do JDRF do? So there's
0: lots of type 1 diabetic charities. There's like Diabetes UK. um, They focus on type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, a lot of care, support, family support, which is so important. But JDRF itself is pretty much purely research-based. Um, so they don't have that other output of money to like support or family care. It's literally to research to then hopefully eradicate it and find a cure. And that's why I focused on that one because it is a little bit less heard of and a bit less known, but they're doing such incredible things. And because it's juvenile-based... So that's bad wording. Right. Um, they're actually wanting to see if they can change the name from Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation because they think it's purely for kids. Yep. it's not. It's just for diabetes. It's an American company, and they. I think they're wanting to change it to Diabetic Research Foundation. And then I built a really good relationship with them, and then yeah, started raising money for them. And then I also raised money for tuberous sclerosis, which is a a, a friend's. Brother who suffers from it um, for for them, and then also surfers against sewage because prior to running, I was a surf instructor in New Zealand, and surfing the ocean has always been a huge part of my life. And I thought, as we're starting on the coast and finishing on the coast, I'll do a beach cleanup at the start, collect some rubbish on the way, and I do a beach cleanup at the finish. And yeah, yeah. So raise money for surfers
1: against sewage as well. Surfers against sewage, another UK-based charity. I think they they formed in Cornwall. Putting pressure on um, utility companies to yeah. sort out our, our water waste. Yeah. Stop dumping it in the sea. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen those.
0: Do you ever do like, wild swimming or like, ocean swimming? Have you ever seen it where they put like, oh, don't swim today because this. And you look at the crosses where not to swim and it's like the whole coast. you
1: like, that's bad. Yeah. So th- is that their app you're talking about? Yeah. So what their app co- basically monitors all the wastewater pipes. And when there's been flow, flow it yeah. tells you don't swim in that area. Yeah, and it is actually scary to see the extent of which, especially after a rainy period, so much of the UK coast is 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 recommended not to swim. Yeah,
0: and and also when we when we're doing these beach cleanups, it you might get to a section and you're like, oh, it's it's not actually that bad, and then you look closer and closer, and it's like the little micro plastics, and it is wild how much plastic you find. We found bin bags and bin bags, and we were only doing a small little section. It's like removing a little rock, and then there'd be suddenly tons more plastic. And it was just mostly fishing wire
1: and fishing rope. And yeah. You started your coast-to-coast with a beach clean, and you Mm -hmm. finished it um, with another beach clean. Why was it so important for you to have that as part of your journey when you were running across the country? Because,
0: obviously... You know, a handful of people doing this one small act on this one tiny beach on this one day in the whole grand scheme of things isn't worth it, right? If you think about the amount that's actually out there, but having the exposure to it or even just it it felt good because I felt like we were doing something, but also showing what we were doing and reasonings why we were doing it actually got other people in the area doing it as well and then we had people come over to us and talk to us and like what are you guys doing and then we we're explaining and then we we're telling them about surface against sewage and just making it a little it's bringing out awareness to people and i think by doing that act it did bring more awareness which is exactly what we wanted to do
1: where did you grow these uh, values in yourself where did you realize the importance of protecting? You mentioned that you were in New Zealand and Australia for yeah. a, a while. Was was that a, quite a formative time in your life when you realized about the the sanctity of of our impact on human life, on, on the world?
0: Yeah. Um, more so when I became vegan, which was like eight years ago.
1: This again was in, was this in New that Zealand? That was in New
0: Zealand, yeah. So Molly and Ben, my two mates over there, They were both vegan and I was a big meat eater and they were like, just try it. And I was just like, nah, I'm I'm good. And then I did and yeah, didn't look back since. But then that's because you open your mind and you do lots of research. You find out, because there's different reasons why people do it. I I personally do it for lots of reasons. One of them mostly is animals. I, I love animals, but the other one is environment and health but when you research or watch these documentaries about the environment and the causes it has that changes your view on things but i remember being out for a surf on the northeast coast of england near scarborough and just like just sat there waiting for a wave and then like a plastic bag just like washes up on top of your board and you're just like yeah this is this is gross like, this is this isn't shouldn't be happening and you you see that a lot when you're in the in the water. I remember when I was surf instructing out in New Zealand, I'd be wearing a, it would only be down two ways, but I'd be wearing a wetsuit and i would literally just f- filling whatever rubbish I can find just like into my suit. And then, you know, you get back to the shop and you undo it and there's just tons of plastic
1: that you can just put into the bin. It's, it's, yeah, it's shocking. Your journey, you, I think you had four pillars for your journey. You were raising money for charity. Yep. You were... Um, doing it as a type 1 diabetic mm-hmm. you were doing beach cleanup and raising awareness of that but also you were advocating the fact that you could do it on a plant-based diet as well
0: yeah i, I think it's i don't even see it anymore i think because i think it is so normalized
1: it's normalized to whoever is within that world but there's some yeah, people true. outside that world where they don't even contemplate how they could one be able to do something like you have done yeah. on a plant-based diet or even why they should be on a plant-based diet and how it could be better for, the, for them, for the yeah. health of the world or the health of, of animals. I myself have have gone through the same period of view of, of eating meat for much of my life. Yeah. Um, so I can sympathize to those who still eat meat and, mm-hmm. and consume dairy and, and don't really have any interest in changing because I was once one of those people.
0: Yeah, so it's weird, actually, thinking about it. But I've never wanted to, like, push it on anybody. I'll kind of try and encourage people just by showcasing, like, food or whatever.
1: The best you can do is live, live the best life and, and, and be an inspiration from, from your yeah. own actions, I think. I like to think uh, I only encourage someone if they have a slight interest in it. Mm-hmm. Once they start asking questions, then I'll happily talk to them about it and recommend things. Yeah.
0: The only people that I've preached to are my parents, but that's purely, and my family, but that's purely because I obviously love them to bits. I don't want them to, I want them to live a happy, healthy lifestyle. And if they can, and, you know, by living a
1: plant-based lifestyle. then That's so interesting. Are they living a plant-based lifestyle? Yeah. So the similar thing happened to my parents. Mm. Soon after I turned vegan, I noticed that they were curious. My dad was reading um, the Scott Direct book Mm. about... um, I don't know if it's called Eat to Run or something like that. Yeah. Um, Which talked about his plant-based diet. And I think my mom was kind of like veggie curious at the time. But because I saw my dad reading this book, I was like, great. Let me watch this documentary. Yeah. yeah. Listen to this podcast. You know, read this book. And they went through their own journey and they've kind of completely given up meat. They are, I would say, 90% vegan. Uh, Yeah. A lot of it. They don't check labels yeah yeah they will they'll still consume milk chocolate and things like that but there's no meat and pretty much no dairy in the house yeah and likewise i know so much about what it can do of of within someone's longevity that i felt it was important to make sure that my parents could be around for longer if that means that their their diet improves and it's not just about being vegan it's about having whole foods and less processed stuff and educating people on that and yeah. Very interesting to see that you've had that same experience of wanting to make sure your parents are around yeah. longer. Well my
0: my mum my more so is like keen. So she she's pretty much fully vegan. Um dad's an old timer, you know, he's if he, he'll eat vegan when he's at home. Um but then if he's out and about and there's like a steak pie, he'll probably have that. It's that temptation. Yeah. But he's like, you know, even just for him, just to change
1: that a little bit, I'm happy with that. I think. Well done. Yeah. How does your vegan diet affect your type one diabetes? That's
0: another thing as well, because I'm I'm more aware and more conscious about what I eat through diabetes, or even the other way around through being plant based, I've like been vegan you're more aware of it and you're like more conscious about what you are eating, making sure that you're taking on everything that you need to take on. But then because you are aware of it and, it, and you're conscious about it, it means it's easier to control because instead of just going out, eating something and then plugging your insulin in, you're actively making something delicious and good. But because you then know what exactly is in it, because then it's easier to go, oh, I've actually put in 30 grams of carbs. So that means I need this X amount of insulin. So it makes it easier. So when I first was diagnosed with diabetes, I was told about pizza. And pizzas, it's it's not good for diabetics because it's got this big, active, long-lasting carbohydrate. But it's it's because of that. It's because of the fats behind it all so the cheese and that slows it down um so since going vegan i don't have any of that long-lasting as as, as long-lasting carbohydrates so it's easier to control and that's just by purely from changing to from cutting out dairy do you think that whole foods helps a lot more as well i think so yeah yeah it's just like healthier carbs so if your body can digest it properly,
1: does slow releasing carbs help? Because it, it helps maintain a, a a longer peak of sugar rather than a high spike. It's more of a longer.
0: Yeah, it, there's there's so many different types of carbohydrates. So you've got these like long lasting carbs which seem to have double peaks with with insulin blocks, and I think when you're having, you know, if I'm if I'm just having like a say a plain white rice like, against. A whole grain or like a brown rice it's easier for me to control that brown rice but i don't know if that's just purely me because i'm conscious about it or it actually is a thing
1: let's go back to your coast-to-coast journey i want to actually break it down because i'm so curious because i've actually um i'm traditionally come from a bike touring background Mm -hmm. and i love to go out and do tours whether they're just a weekend or a week or longer so I'm experiencing what it takes to kind of go day after day on the bike. Mm-hmm. In the last few years, I've got more into running, my running has become stronger, and I was I've become curious about what if I could do a tour on foot. So a multi-day tour running through, you know, point to point across the country, like you have done yourself. So I've got lots of questions. Okay. So you've you've set your values. You've done your training, you've had a long time going into this, you're raising money for charity, and you've, you've grown a social following, and then it all leads to day one, which is August. Was this 2021? Yeah, I think so. You're in St. B's, you've done your beach clean, and in the morning you set off, and you've got about 28 miles, Yeah, roughly, which is averaging a day. Yeah, 28 miles a day. It's more than a marathon a day. Yeah. How's that first day going? Good
0: bad no it was good so, so the, I, I met a friend through um through the community of running in London a guy called Mark Kerry he's a really close friend of mine now and uh he supported me on day one with with another mate and they are incredible ultra runners he's got some, he's got loads of FKTs. he's got a Pennine way he's an amazing runner and me being me I wanted to look good and like perform well. So he, I, they pushed me for that first day. And-
1: When you say pushed. Yeah. This is the first day of a seven no, I, day tour. I what? know,
0: I know. And I, I'd said like, we'll take it easy, which we did. But even that was a push. And I remember getting to about mile 20. And I was just really nauseous. And I was like sick. And Mark being Mark, he's such a good runner. And he was just like- let's just get this done. Because like longer out here, less time you'll have to rest, less time you'll have to recover. And he knew, he knows me quite well. Like he knows, he knows when I'm going low. He, he, he hears it in my voice when we're, t- when we're running. He can tell before I know I'm low, which is really cool. Um, but he knew that we just needed to get back and get food because I was getting nauseous. And I don't know if you've had those experiences on long, long distance running where you're feeling sick and it's actually, you need carbs. And like you need calories, but you can't because you've gone past that point and you're fatigued. So we pushed, and he's just like, well, "Whatever you do, don't stop." So we went to like the walk, jog, walk, jog, and we eventually got there. And yeah, I vomited everywhere, and it was
1: horrible. This was at the end of your first day.
0: End of the first day. It was
1: you. You got to the Bor- uh, Borodell Youth Hostel. Yeah. In the Lake districts. Yeah. Vomiting. Yeah. What were you eating on 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 that route on that first day? Um did you have proper, supernatural fuel do you have any proper meals is it all just bars um
0: it was mostly real food i didn't really have many gels apart from supernatural fuel which are those um little pouches that mm-hmm. kind of like look like baby food and yeah
1: the sandwiches like jam and peanut butter okay.
0: sandwiches and crisps yeah and
1: bananas. It, for, for uh, an ultra across the lake district you you need some something of substance really can, yeah And luckily, there's like lots of spots where like my parents were. You know,
0: they were there for the first couple of days. And how were you managing your insulin? So I'd always have my pump with me. I'd have my bag, um, have my pump in me. So you were connected. I was connected, but I'd actually turn it off. So I'd like disconnect it. I'll stop it from producing because my pump gives me constant insulin in the background. It's called a basal. So it's dripping little bits of insulin constantly through the day, which balances my levels. And then whenever I eat my sugar levels would go up i'd give insulin it would come down
1: so it has a baseline of what it's injecting you yeah and then you can control if you want any more yeah
0: it fluctuates through the day um which has just taken years to work out what how much you need at what certain time of day but yeah when i run i turn it off and because i'm using so much energy it's actually using it anyway and then you're just constantly eating food Testing all the time.
1: Interesting point there. So because you're burning energy, you're burning off the sugars that you're consuming. Yeah. So by by exercising, by being active, mm. it's keeping your blood sugar level low. Kind of. In almost like a natural way that the insulin would.
0: Yeah. But then the, you also need it as well because you also need insulin on board to turn the glucose into energy. Because right. if you don't have any insulin on board, you won't necessarily go down. You might stay high but it can't convert
1: that sugar into energy. So it's almost like a catalyst in some sense. Yeah. It's, like it's required for the process as well. Yeah. It's not just required Which makes it slow. even harder. Wow. This is a very complex.
0: Um... Yeah. It, it gets really complex, especially with each individual person. So there's no book. Right? So you can't go, this is what you need for this kind of thing because everybody is different. So I was speaking to a friend the other day that for so we were talking about breakfast and I was like, how much would you give him insulin for that? And he was like, 10 units. And I was like, dude, if I gave myself 10 units, I da- I'd be dead. I'd give maybe two or three for that. And so that's it. It's that like everybody's different. So that's why I always try and encourage people to get the technologies because a lot of people don't have it. Like get a freestyle Libra, go for your runs, test it, constantly test it and work out what you are to try and, Encourage people to to show that they can do anything that they want to do in life, but because we have now have the technologies to prove that and and assist, it's yeah. I don't even know why I went off topic then.
1: No, let's bring it back. <laughs> back to you. finished a day. You yeah. Puked up at the youth hostel. Yeah. yeah. So interestingly, you chose to stay at this this on the first day. You chose to stay at youth hostel, so you weren't carrying, you weren't camping along the way. You were staying over each yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, what were you carrying on the road what, what, when you were running? Um it just a basic trail kit? Or? Yeah.
0: Like, you know, when you're on a race, you've got your mandatory kit. So it'd be like a little first aid kit, blanket, whistle, uh, phone, extra charger in case you needed it for GPS or whatever. Um, I have a little map as well. Clothing and food. And then Lots when you,
1: when you got there, were there, did you have someone with a bag with extra stuff with you?
0: Yeah. So we had friends... Parents, family.
1: Um, Did that continue throughout the whole seven days? The whole seven so days. So, every yeah. every end of the journey, you always had
0: some comfort. Yeah. My Birkenstocks and good food. And normally a pack of Guinness.
1: So, you were staying in, was it pubs and new hostels? New and...
0: hostels, Airbnbs. So, you had anywhere, to plan and pre book
1: these all ahead? Yeah. So, so you knew, so knew you, you had
0: knew to... How to get somewhere, which was good because I, there was one day that was a little bit shorter. Uh, I think it was like day four. But my cut, my nephews were there. My nephew was there, my sister, and my family. So that was like really nice because we only finished at like two o'clock. So I had the whole afternoon to like hang out with them and, and see them and then go to the next day, which was like a 50K or whatever. Having those like places on route to go to, it was nice because like all you got to do is get to there. That's all you got
1: to do. Yeah, checkpoints. Yeah. How is your body? Good. Uh, legs? Yeah.
0: Legs were good. The first two days were really hard. The second day was hardest. So I think it was one of the biggest climbs. It's going through the Lake District,
1: yeah. Yeah. From that, to Burbanks.
0: It felt really, really good, actually. The first half, the first two thirds, and then the second we were like, okay. So I was running with Nige at this point. So Nige was a family friend, like a friend of of mine that uh, was just going to help out and just going to pace a few of them. But he ended up doing the whole bloody thing which is incredible and we got to i think the second day and we thought we were about 5k away from the end and we were actually about 10 miles and we had it was horrendous we were like rock climbing pretty much down and up and down and it was so hot and that's when we, we both started hallucinating on the second day wow yeah and we had to go into a plunge pool to like try and cool down because we were just tripping it was bad <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's something when when one of you is struggling, it's it's tough. But when you're out there with just one other person, yeah. you're both struggling. Yeah. No one is there to keep check on.
0: No. We were bad. That was, a, that was a horrible day. But then it kind of just plateaued and it was really good. The rest of it. Beautiful. Up on the moors. It
1: was lovely. So what motivated you when it came to day five, day six? Like really, really like deep into this journey... When your body is tired, your legs are aching. Yeah. And you're probably just sick of that routine because it has been a few days now. Yeah. And you just want that break.
0: I actually love it. That I love love that. I love you getting deep into it. But the things that kept me through it was the fact that I'd built it up for 18 months and I couldn't let anyone down. There was no not doing it. I was always going to do it. But then when, you, when you're like, oh, I'm so tired, I just want to finish. And then you... Because we had, I was, you know, the following was building. Um, I'd have messages from people. So I had this message from this one guy and, and he goes, oh, this is so inspiring. Like, It's an amazing thing what you're doing and raising all the money for, for charity and showing that type 1 diabetics can do it. My daughter's just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope she's all right. Like, how old? And he was just like, oh, she's two. And I was like, geez, that's bad. Because... When you're that age, you can't control it. So yes, this child has diabetes, but it's the parents now have diabetes because they have to control everything. And then doing, hearing things like that, that's what makes me go, all right, well, let's keep doing it. Keep raising money. And then eventually no other kids can have to be diagnosed because there'll be a cure. And that's my, that's my mission now.
1: And so, the, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, mm-hmm. the JDRF, yeah. is a charity that is, is very close to home for you now. It's something that yeah. you've, you've raised money for consecutively. Yeah. First of all, you finished um, this Coast to Coast in mm-hmm. your seven days and you raised over £10,000 collectively yeah. for three different charities Yeah. Uh, JDRF, Surface Against Sewerage, and Tubeless Sclerosis. Yeah. That must have been epic. Yeah, it's huge. And then
0: obviously then it was just like, well, that was it wasn't that hard. Like it was hard and it was an amazing thing to do. But then and till now I'm like, there's always more. I can always do more. And that's what I like doing.
1: Well, you finished your seven day tour. Yeah. And didn't stop. I think you had a newfound direction in life. You saw what running could do, what mm-hmm you could do as a type 1 diabetic. Yeah. And you knew you could do more. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, you went and did more events. Yeah. You did uh, a marathon afterwards. Yeah. So the New Forest Marathon. New Forest. You mentioned you struggled during that one. Yeah, I
0: actually had a really bad sugar low. So I thought I'd be fine. I'd keep going. I'd have some more sugars. but I actually had to like pull over and sit aside. Because sometimes when you're low... You can have like a sugar, bit of sugar and you're all right. And then sometimes it makes you drunk. Like imagine like you're constantly blinking. It's like that. And then other times it makes you see, you can't even see, you can't do anything. Nothing makes sense. There's no, like for instance, this morning I had to wake up early to go for a run. And it actually took me an hour to get out of bed because my levels were low and I was like, I can't work out why I'm getting up. And sometimes, yeah, it's just very, it's very confusing sometimes. And in the new forest marathon, I, I got, I had a bit of that. So I had to like pull aside, eat loads of food and then crack on again. And then, yeah. And then now it's just constantly trying to find the battle to not have those experiences whilst running.
1: Yeah. I guess it's all part of the experience and you kind of learn through the highs and the lows. Mm. Yeah. Literally. Just going back onto di- diabetes, uh, the problems with having high glucose, it, uh, in a serious condition, it leads to heart disease and strokes, mm-hmm. foot circulation problems. Mm-hmm. And so, we're, well, with having feet problems, um, diabetes can reduce the blood supply to your feet and cause a loss of feeling. Yeah. This means foot injuries do not heal well. You may notice if your foot is sore or injured. This can lead to ulcers and infections. You are... An ultra runner who's done yeah. <laughs> a seven day tour across the UK. Yeah. But you're more susceptible to having problems with your feet. Yeah.
0: I think doing this stuff prevents that. That's my theory. I'm going to go with it. I don't know if it is, but yeah, that's I, I, that's like if you, for long term highs. So if you're really uncontrolled for long periods of time, you can have those issues. There's so many issues that you can have with diabetes that aren't, people that aren't necessarily aware of. Anxiety, depression, um, heart problems, tingles, like in your feet, in your hands, like circulation. So there's so many things, other reasons why you should keep it balanced, not just in the moment, but over a long period of time. It's not just like, oh, it'd be fine for now because it's not now, it's affecting its future you. And, you know, you want to be around for as long as possible. So,
1: And you think getting out and being active is a huge uh, positive. Yeah,
0: I do. Because if you're keeping fit and healthy and you're having that co- constant blood flow around your heart and around your body and into your toes, and into your feet, and you're keeping active, surely that's a good reason, right? Yeah, uh, I
1: always <laughs> think um, my analogy is a bit like a, an old car. If you just yeah. leave it sitting there, it's just going to rust. Yeah. And it's all the, the oils is going to set. Yeah. But every now and then, if you just go into the garage, turn it on, you know, rev the engine, maybe take it around the block. Yeah. You do that regularly, it's going to keep it in good shape. Yeah. But if you just let it sit there, it's just going to deteriorate. And I think yeah. our bodies are very similar to that. Sometimes you do need to kind of shock the system, get everything running, get that blood circulation going, mm. just to check that it all works. You don't have to do too much. You don't have to do ultras. Yeah but it's just having that regular regular connection with your body that says, just checking that you're there, you're okay.
0: Any movement, all movement. We're not designed to sit. If we are designed to sit, we'd be designed in a way that we're like that. We're not, you know, we're we're designed to move and we should move. And actually being a part of Adidas Runners has made that more more clear. So yeah, going on to that, actually, I, I was, when I finished the race, Uh, The across the country one and then the marathon. I I set up a run club in East London called Run Limited, and that's 7 a.m. Thursday morning.
1: This just organically grew, right? Yeah, did did you really have an intention to do that, or did you just find that you were just within a group of friends who wanted to do it? Both, yeah, because one of my friends, because I'm a barber, I was
0: cutting hair, and one of my friends was saying his partner she doesn't like running in the dark on her own so i was like well come with me and we'll we'll do it and then you know there's like molly and ollie and a few other friends from the club we all just met every thursday morning and it's just grown and grown and grown and then from there i was cutting henry's hair who's producer in the production team of um adidas runners oh yeah and he goes oh you're like you're coaching i'm like not really like I'm just running around with friends to get people out, to get people moving. And and it's a good way to make it accountable. You know, people are more likely to go somewhere and do something if they have to be there at a certain time every single week. And it genuinely fills my heart with so much joy that actually doing it. I love doing it. And he and he goes, well, why don't you be a part of Adidas Runners? There's coaching, there's coaching opportunities coming up. And then I went to the interview and I got the job and now I'm an
1: Adidas coach as well. It's, this is an incredible like circle from, from those first initial runs in lockdown, when you just nominate <laughs> yeah. by someone to go and do five kilometers to where you are now being attached to a brand like Adidas, yeah, And being one of their coaches mm. from someone actually technically haven't had any coaching experience, but you no. kind of were there because of all your own experience yeah. and then by helping others, that's essentially what a coach does. Yeah. And then
0: being in Adidas Runners, it's people from all over the world and from every single background and ability. And because at first I was always, you know, runners are runners. You got I never thought myself as a runner. I was just a guy doing it. And then now I'm like, everybody's a runner. If you like move and run, you're a runner. And then seeing all these abilities and these incredible people from Adidas Runners, just getting out and moving, it's like, it's so inspiring because for for one person, like just getting out and going for a little run is a huge accomplishment. And seeing that, and then also having everyone from Adidas Runners applaud them for doing it. It's like it's amazing
1: feeling that. It is one of the most inclusive groups that I know of. The yeah. most inclusive. There, there are many other inclusive run groups in the UK, but I'm not party to them and I'm party to Adidas Runners so I can talk from that yeah. point of view. I'm part of Adidas Runners London. When I turn up, first of all, I just see a reflection of London for the people that I see. Mm-hmm. From people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds. Yeah. And first of all, just seeing that, seeing the difference in people that are there, is fund- is, I think is fundamental because typically with certain uh, attachment to certain run clubs, they're of a certain type of person mm-hmm. um, and you don't always get the diversity. Yeah, with Adidas, that's at its heart. And as a result of that, you get people from all different abilities as well. Yeah. So you get people who can run fast laps, but people who are just there, just like happy to be moving and yeah. and not really taking it serious to be to the point of where they're chasing times, but they're, they're just happy to be part of the community, which is moving with them. Yeah. It's amazing. But then,
0: you know, some of those people that are happy just to move, then go and achieve something that they never thought possible. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I think that Adidas have helped many people run marathons who probably never yeah. thought they could run a marathon. Yeah. Even like some people that, you know, they, they can't
0: do one lap of Batsy track without wanting to stop. You then see them doing a park run like two weeks later. You're like, good on you. Good on you for trying. Like, that's incredible.
1: Let's finish talking about some of the events you did after your seven day coast to coast. Yeah. You said we struggled with your New Forest marathon. Yeah. After which you signed up for uh, your first official ultra, even though technically you'd covered ultra distances before. Which one was that you did? I did the Camino
0: 50k Ultra. Where was that? Um, Epping Forest.
1: Oh, nice. Close to home. In London. Close to home, yeah.
0: Yeah, they do some really cool ones, actually. They do like the Lee Valley and the Epping Forest and they do lots of like trails around London.
1: Yeah. After completing your 50k, Mm -hmm. that wasn't long enough for you. Yeah. To mark, was it the 100 years? Since- 100
0: years of insulin being discovered. Um, JDRF asked me to do something. They're like, oh, would you mind running, do you know, you do like 100K in, in the month or something of, of World Diabetes Day? And I was just like, no, I'll just do it, do it one day. So for, on World Diabetes Day, I set off bright and early with a handful of friends and interchanged friends all the way to my sister's house um so i thought i'd run from my house in london to my sister's house where all my family were where are they based um near Hitchin. that's far out of the m25 that's far out of london yeah that is a long journey yeah 100 kilometers ended up being about 105 by accident how are your legs how is your nutrition it was okay i i that i hallucinated really bad on that one actually i got to mark once again carried me through it but
1: just to highlight, this was used as a self-organized 100k ultra. This wasn't part of an organized event. You had just no. chosen just to leave your door on a certain day yeah. to go out and run 100 kilometers. Yeah. But thankfully you had your friends to support you along yeah. the way. and my family. And family. Yeah.
0: Well, I had pretty much, just to get to the, just past the M25 until Welling Garden City, I had friends just that, you know, from the run club or from social media. like could know, Johnny helped me a lot when that one on Ollie and they did lots of different sections of it with me. And then I hit a really bad wall. I hadn't trained hard enough for that one. That was horrible. But then it instantly makes you want to do it again and do it better and improve. What, what do you mean? Because I, you do it, be like, it was, it was horrible. And there was nothing good about it after 50K. After 50K, it was just hard. It was horrendous. And then now you're like, I
1: want to go back and make it. I want to feel happy when I finish the finish. Right. What is the, um, what's the limit? How far do you want to run in um, one go? Are you two, tempted by, two a, ago, by a backyard ultra? Yeah. I'm always up for anything. Like, That's an infinite amount of distance you could do. You set the limit. Yeah. I know a couple of friends who did it uh, just this weekend, the one in Suffolk. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine did, I think, 36 yards, which is, I think, in the pro- approximately 240 kilometers in distance. Outstanding. Wow. But I, I, don't, I don't know the distance no. of, the, of the winner, whether they're, whether they're still going. I'm not sure <laughs> at the sort of time we're recording this. Yeah. But I know that I think the record was 81 yards, which I can't even comprehend how big that would be. That's in the region of like 500 kilometers. I'm, I'm not, that's, don't, don't quote me on that. Wow. But just seeing the, uh, a friend of mine who yeah. could just go out and just run mm-hmm. and continue running. This is running a lap of, um, and having to run that same lap an hour at a time, about a six and a half kilometre lap.
0: Yeah. Nah, that's not for me. I don't, well, I say that now, probably will, but. Uh,
1: It it does, it just, just, um, I think, pose the question of like, why? I think you've had a why attached to so many of your Mm. journeys, especially your coast to coast and the 100k ultra you, you did. Yeah. Um and at least with the coast to coast and your 100 day 100 ultra, 100k in a day ultra you were going point to point you were journeying through some place so there is i imagine you took a lot of inspiration from yeah. the land that you passed through can mm-hmm. can't imagine doing a a circular route no. continuously Sounds 36 horrible. times across 36 hours no. or
0: beyond yeah no not for me that one i don't think but you know i, I recently did the speed project don't know if you were going to touch on that one, but...
1: I heard a few things. With, with no ID crew. So the Speed Project yeah. is um, a race mm-hmm. in USA from California to Nevada, yeah. from LA to Las Vegas, approximately 350 miles. Yeah. But unlike many races, there's no rules to some extent. There yeah. are certain ground rules, fundamentally,
0: you have to be a law abiding citizen.
1: Yeah. But you can you make your own way there. Yeah. On foot, wh- however route you feel is necessary yeah. or best for you. Yeah. How many teams were there?
0: 70. 70 different teams. Yeah, 69 different teams I think. Yeah. So you ha- you can choose the OG team which is four men, two women.
1: This is as a relay, as a relay. So you're tag teaming along the way. Yeah.
0: Or you can do it freestyle. As Which a you can as bring as many people as you want, or as little as you want, or you can do it solo. Right. Okay. So, freestyle could be as many. Okay. Yeah. So
1: we ended up coming third in the. So you in the OG category, the the yeah. relay, placing third, mm-hmm. bringing home a European record yeah. for the route. Yeah. Thirty five hours nonstop. Tough. Interestingly, from following some of your routes, or oh, I saw you post on Strava your strategy for this race yeah. was to do very short bursts. Yeah, Talk me through that. Because it's called the Speed Project.
0: You want to get there as fast as you can. And it averages about, we worked out, I think we did about 90k each. And if you were just to go out and do 90k, you'd probably you'd do it in quite a slow time. It'd
1: be an inefficient way of doing it. Right? Yeah.
0: And we found, like we, we set off and think, Molly did five. Nathan did ten. I think I did seven, and that was just purely just get out of kilometers. Yeah, and then we broke it into groups. Some of them was like two minutes on,
1: two minutes off. Yeah, for two hours. Wow, and that's, then you, then you sh- that's almost like a sprint pace. You yeah, doing that a very high tempo. For, yeah, You're aiming for sprinting. But even with two minutes on, two minutes off. So so two minutes on, sorry, and then taking some time off. You've got your rotation. You've only got five of the people to cover for you. So you got 10 yeah, minutes again. Had to had actually. So we had some injuries. Right.
0: Well, first off, I broke my rib two days before the, the race. So I had to do the whole thing with a broken rib, which is horrendous. Tomas rolled his ankle really bad in power line. So he was out for the last 100 odd K. Molly had a stress fracture in her or tendon issue. So she was running little, but she actually accumulated quite a lot. She, and Jen had the same. She had an injury. Blimey. So the, you, you're all just yeah. odd, odd balls. Even the last 30K, Nathan couldn't run because his ankle was like a football. It was horrendous. But everybody, even including the team, our support crew, there wasn't one person that like didn't do the absolute everything. That gave it that all. Everybody did everything that they physically could.
1: This is a right all. hustle, right? Because you are... Uh, LA is a very hot place. Yeah. Um, and you did it... What time of year was this? March. And you then you're running through the desert, through Death Valley, was it? At some point, point? Yeah, Death Valley, yeah. Uh, typically one of the hottest places in the in the US. Yeah. But that's during the day. Yeah. And then during the night... Freezing cold. You've got an extreme in the other direction. You've got mm-hmm. cold conditions. Yeah.
0: We were very fortunate this year. So this year, the weather was really good for us.
1: It was it was cool. It
0: was windy. Um, I think it maxed out about 20 Celsius. But I've had it years before and it was like near 50, which is crazy. Um, so we were very fortunate with the weather and we looked out on it. I don't know how a ginger northern boy would have done. If it was that hot, I would have died. But I want to go back and do it next year.
1: Is that the plan? yeah that's the plan. same team
0: same team, and then there's even the thought I was talking to Deo actually, um maybe year after we might do a solo but together. We'll see he's got a big thing to do first.
1: yes, he's running across Africa, yeah, and Europe, and how did you manage your insulin levels when things were so hectic when you didn't have much time to be resting? yeah, you feel like you're on this constant rotation. Yeah. How did you not let things slip away from you? Like simple things like nutrition and hydration as well. It as did a bit. Your-
0: um, luckily, because Emma's, you know, the, the, she ended up being our driver, but she's also a medic because she's a pharmacist. So she helped a lot. She gave us, me constantly just be like, oh, have you checked? But like, yeah, I've checked. We had this, I'm like, yeah, I've had that. So she was aware of what was going on. But because when your body goes through trauma- or a state of shock or pain or whatever, it fluctuates your diabetes, diabetic control. So my levels, looking back now, they're actually a bit too high for the whole thing, but you're just eating gels and eating food and you're in and out and you're constant. And it's nonstop
1: and it's really, really hard to control. Since setting up your social following from your coast to coast Mm -hmm. that has evolved and and you've continued to be a content creator yeah um regularly posting lots of information about tips for running but also advice for type 1 diabetics and running why do you do that
0: um i love helping people i i I genuinely love it that's why i do my run clubs and i always like to give advice to people or not advice, but it's more just like tips that I've learned over the years. And there's things that I've learned since running through diabetes that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. So if I've already learned these experiences, so for instance, getting into running, what tips can you take as a a type 1 diabetic just to make it a little bit easier to start running, to hopefully encourage others to run? And then I post about it and, you know... I might not have any response, but I'd say most times I'll get at least one person reply, diabetic or not, and just be like, oh, this has been really helpful. I really appreciate it. You know, that's, that's why I do it, just to try and help and encourage other people to just give them a bit of an easier life. If something that I've been through and I've learned from, if I can then pass that on and give advice for, that's a good way of doing it.
1: A lot has changed since when we were growing up as kids, um, with the the advent of the internet and how we can now access information. Mm. And now it's so easily accessible because it's all on our phones that we can be following someone who has a very similar lifestyle to us mm-hmm. and be learning from them. Um, what do you what do you think about how things were back when you were this twelve year old kid who got diagnosed with us. diabetes to someone who's now twelve years old and could be seeing yeah. The life that they can be leading for people like you. When I was twelve,
0: was, you know, it was like dial-up internet, so it wasn't as accessible. So I, I was actually put. I was in year seven or eight at school, year eight at school, and I went to the diabetic nurse in school, and she goes, "I've got someone for you to meet from the sixth former. Come and meet this. Come and meet this guy." And I was like, "Right," and he was just this completely normal. He was a dude and I was just like, "You're not what I thought a diabetic would look like. like. You're just a completely normal fella, super lovely." And he just goes, "I will give you one piece of advice. Being diabetic, when you get drunk, when you go home, eat a massive sandwich and go to bed." And I was like, "All right." And then putting that actually into practice when I was when I was a kid, when I was, you know, 18, Legally drinking was, but when I, before I go to bed, I'd have a, a big sandwich or like something carbohydrate driven, and it would stop me from crashing in the middle of the night. And it just because alcohol also adjusts your diabetes, like your blood sugar levels. So having that carbohydrate just to keep you last through the night, bit of advice. And but now, because it is so accessible through social media. Instagram, it has so many bad traits, like social media and the the internet. But there's so many good things from it and so many things that can benefit other people. And I've got a, fo- a friend, I say follower, he's a friend now that follows me and his kid's diabetic. And they follow me because they can look at it and go, Oh, John T's just done this. This might help you with your diabetes. And then they can, because they, they're triathletes and they can look at it now and be like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'll try that on my next, my next run. And I've just helped a 12 year old kid without even meaning to. It's just like just passing on that little bit of advice, that little bits of advice is,
1: it's free. It's great. It's all about passing on. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the mantle of things that you've learned To someone who's going through that experience for the first Mm. time. Yeah. it's tough. Yeah. It's horribly
0: tough. Like, I won't wish it upon anyone. And if I can help someone just by making a little reel that might take me 20 minutes, that's, that's why I do it. You have a big following on Instagram. Yeah. Do you upload anywhere else? A little bit on TikTok. Don't want to. But apparently it might get to some of the eyes that aren't necessarily on Instagram. Yeah. Um, YouTube Shorts, purely because my friend works for them and he said do it because it would be a good thing to start doing. This is something you just uh, taken on recently. Yeah. But I don't, it takes time to make reels mm-hmm. and I, I'm super busy. Like I've got technically like nearly three jobs and I'm running and I've got loads of other stuff going on. So like making reels, it takes a lot of time. So I try and whip up a little reel and then I download it Post it onto Instagram, download it, and then put upload the same video onto TikTok or U- YouTube Shorts. But it doesn't always let you download the the audio, which I've started doing, like the voiceovers. So then you got to do it, and you got to redo another audio. It takes a lot of time, right? And it's just a, it's
1: just, it's tiring doing it to so many different platforms. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: which ones do you do?
1: Well, this this podcast goes out predominantly as a podcast. Facebook it's purely the audio piece is fundamentally like what i have to focus on yeah and getting the audio experience there because people do listen in the long form mm-hmm. but because i am a filmmaker i think and because the podcasting world is so saturated I, I realized i could probably try to make a bit more of an impact through incorporating video and having yeah. some reels and some shorter Highlights form content. And, yeah that's yeah. kind of like literally in a reel and it's kind of fishing form it's kind of like trying to hook people in yeah so like casting the net wide and putting these reels out is to try and get people interested mm-hmm. who maybe don't know about the podcast so hopefully t- over time i can use those reels to to gain a bit more of a following and to get more listeners in yeah Than just the people that i know and that like small bubble that you always, always have like friends of friends yeah so i actually wanted to set this podcast up purely really for my own consumption of youtube shorts Okay. When they first came about in the last few years, I realized just how, I suppose, how addictive they are, but just actually how more easy they are to consume. Short form Mm -hmm. content it gives you a taste of what something is. Yeah. And I probably, I think, I probably found a few creators from that, from absorbing their shorts first, and then going into their long form. So taking that journey, I realized I could do this with this podcast. So it goes out on YouTube. That I, that predominantly was my my biggest target seeing how effective shorts could be i also put started putting some of these reels on facebook i don't use facebook haven't used it in years you're not 73 not 73 yeah but i think that's a a really bad mindset to have with facebook and with any social network really just because you don't use it or you don't have an audience for it facebook has really surprised me the numbers stand for themselves i think on a monthly basis my shorts get about 30,000 hits okay which is publishing trying to put one out every day but not always and I don't know that's well that's averaging about 1, a thousand shorts mm-hmm. which is which is massive considering yeah. that that's, and it's not every short that has that some have only a few hundred hits but some of the more popular ones over time over the 30 days get up to around about four or 5,000 okay I don't know what if that's translating into podcast audience yet yeah but it's definitely interesting to see that there is that engagement there, yeah, and there is an audience. And it made me realize that you can't judge where your audience is. Yeah. And so, therefore, I say, put your put it on all of them. Put it on on Facebook. Yeah. It might surprise you. Okay. Because you will find you'll you'll find a different audience there, but you'll still be targeting the people that you want to target, and it will eventually find the people who like like you said, like type one diabetics who mm-hmm. are interested in these things. Yeah. Um, but if you're putting content on one platform, put it across all of them. All right. Don't know how to get around the problem you have with the audio. I don't have that because I use a third-party software to, yeah. and then push, push it out. But if you're using, yeah. I guess you're using Instagram to create the reels. Yeah. Then I guess, I don't know, this is I'm going on a tangent now and giving you content advice, <laughs> but I guess maybe- Look, look if there's a, a different platform that you can actually create the content um, yeah. that you own. That, yeah, or not, yeah. not that you own, but- You they're, tried they're, CapCut. I'm. Oh, I'm a, you're fancy. I've You've used got all this light video editing software. Yeah, so that's okay. yeah. I'm not really on the apps. Yeah. Don't know the apps. Yeah. So anyway, you'll be on Facebook in a few yeah. weeks' time. About three hours. <laughs> <Well>, I'm <am. laughs> <laughs> No, th- no. This 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 conversation. Oh, this, this thing. This, yeah, yeah. You'll you'll be made into a reel and you'll yeah. be shot off into the Facebook algorithm. Can't wait. <laughs> I hope they're nice to you. <laughs> yeah. Same. Right. That was a bit of a tangent. Let's let's. Let's reel it back, actually. Yeah. Um, you said about how constantly having to check your, your blood sugars mm. leads to anxiety. So yeah. When you're a kid, you don't know, you don't have this real-time data. So you're yeah. constantly checking and anxious because you've got this life-threatening condition, yeah. which when you're young, you don't know where that could take you and, and what troubles it could bring you. Yeah. How has that affected the mental side of things going forward? I've suffered from anxiety since I was a kid probably through
0: or not through, but like driven by diabetes because say you're, you're anxious or an anxious person, or you have a a mental health problem. And then all of a sudden you've got a million other things to think about because your diabetes isn't right. right. And when you're high or when you're low, it can also affect that you can make, it can make you feel really, really depressed or there's, diabetic depression when your blood sugar levels are low you you're all over the place but when you're high i find i actually get more agitated and irritated and bringing on more anxiety um i've suffered from anxiety since i was a kid but not until about five years ago i actually got officially got diagnosed with depression and anxiety but that was they they say it's due to diabetic depression or anxiety f- through it because there's a million things that you gotta think about, but yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty hardcore. It's like there's things that as a diabetic you you know, you, you think of someone with diabetes, you don't think that oh, they probably have anxiety. They're most pretty sure they do, like in some form. Do you, you think know. that's
1: almost trauma based? because you've had this experience where you've you've had you've unsure about your body and you have yeah. to constantly been checking and so that has been instilled in you from a very early age and that's actually hard maybe. to shake off because you're constantly trying to worry about the yeah. state of your body maybe yeah because
0: even like five years ago when i was diagnosed with it it was it when i told my parents because i am don't really tell anybody about it and don't talk about it because it's it's my personal thing, whatever. But like talking to my parents about it afterwards being like, kind of makes sense of a lot of my issues when I was a teenager and why I was such a crazy kid and just naughty or um, the ADHD, just always wanting to do stuff and can't focus correctly. But it's probably due to, and then why I would get worked up and so crazy about stuff is probably when when I was a kid was because I had these, that on top of everything as well. So yeah, that's just like another another form of worry.
1: The highs and the lows with this yeah. basically giving you mood swings.
0: Pretty much, yeah. So when you're low, um, everything's a little bit blurry, like you're a little bit drunk, and it doesn't really things don't really add up. And then you get agitated, and then it's the same when you go high. So when you're high, you can you can feel like you're a little bit irritable, but yeah, because there's actually some points where. Even now, you know, I'm 32 and i would be like, why am I getting agitated at something? And then I'll test and I'll be like, oh, I'm actually high. And then I'll give myself some insulin and it will go down and it like tends to ease off a little bit. But it does have a big impact on diabetes as well. So if anybody is with diabetes and finds that the child is a little bit agitated or whatever, it actually maybe go and see somebody because it might have Give
1: you a little bit more clarity behind things. And going into your adult years, mm. how have you managed this? Was it something that you haven't managed?
0: No, I
1: find like running helps
0: massively with my depression and anxiety. It's anxiety that goes into depression normally, but you know, some you have good days, you have bad days. Uh, I've been very fortunate over the past year; it's, everything's been good. But I've had some really low points over the past few years. And I used to find that going out for a run, it kind of clears your head. I always, I put this actually into a podcast once before where we've, I don't know if you experienced this as well, but if you wake up one morning and you're anxious or like there's just so much going on and nothing really makes, there's nothing clear. And there's this bundle of thoughts in your head. And I, I, I talked to my friend, Nick Oldbrook about this. And we're talking about because he's a musician, we were talking about rhythm and, and beat and how that has been used in meditation and meditative states for centuries. And how this like you've got the pounding of your feet, you've got your heart, you've got the rhythm in your breath. Everything is this like rhythm and this beat. And you've got all these thoughts in your head. And I always find that when you're running, it's kind of like it's it's clarity and it's organizing all these thoughts and then it's in line and then you can tick off these jobs that you've got to do in your head and then by the end of the run like you're so you're in such a much better position That might be the endorphins that you you've got or just the clarity of it all but running has helped my mental state like so so much just by going out and go for a run can clear your head. Or if you go for a run with a friend, you talk about, even if this person that you don't really know, you might know them occasionally, but you talk to them deeper in that time than you would to your other mates in the pub or going for a coffee. And, and I think it's the theory of when you're driving a car, it's easier to talk to someone about mental health because you've got a focus. You're not looking at each other. You're just looking out the window, but when you're running, I don't know about a few experiences, but I have some of the deepest conversations I've ever had with with friends or people that I don't. Oh, know, not even friends, yeah. Know that mu that know that well, and it's such a good way to like get things off your chest or open up about something or just talk to somebody. And I find the running communities are so good for that, and I always encourage people to go for go for a run, yeah, when they can.
1: I think on top of what you've said there as well, I think when you go for a run, everyone is kind of on an equal level in terms of um, they're there to do one activity. They're dressed for that activity. And all you can see is just them being immersed in that activity. But in society, when we see each other outside of that, we're all at different levels in life and Mm. people in different jobs, different salaries or whatever. Different backgrounds. Different backgrounds. yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to kind of maybe judge someone on their appearance and, but when you're running, I think it kind of levels that playing field. And when everyone's in their Lycra, it's kind of everyone is equal, no matter yeah. what their salary or what their status is in life. It's mm. all just about you doing an activity together. I think yeah. that helps as well. And that helps people open up. Yeah, I reckon so.
0: Since your diagnosis, what has changed? I was on medication for a bit. Um, but I think it was just I, I was in a bad, bad place I, alone, just in like relationships or in in life and since being on my own well I went through a bit of a breakup and then I was on my own for a bit and then that gave me that time to like really understand who I was as a person and 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 then I met my girlfriend now and yeah helped me come off I'm not on tablets anymore or medication for anxiety or depression I'm generally just a much happier person and it's just been i think in the position that i'm in like with the support from family and loved ones and friends and the running community and having this feeling of a reasoning behind who i am and what i'm doing and i think run limit is really like i know you shouldn't ever need something to make you who you are but i think this has and it's fulfillment and
1: direction it's having yeah it's having that purpose isn't it purpose yeah it not only gets you out the door because you know you have to lead your, your mm. own community but it gets you doing something with in in with people yeah if, when you're feeling down just getting out with people can lift your spirits a little bit
0: yeah and that's the hardest thing to do when you do feel down
1: it's is just, to get out it's just getting there yeah. but once you that once you're out jeez it's good Do you see type 1 diabetes as a disability? No. I don't think so.
0: No, it's just... Because I'm so... I've had it for 20... This would be my 21st year of having diabetes. And it's just a part... It's just who I am. I guess it is. Because it's a constant pain. But no, I don't... So that's why when people say, oh, I've got... I'd say a condition, not a disability. I don't think it is a disability. I don't know. I don't know what the technical term for it is, but no. Because people can control it and can do their own thing.
1: You certainly are proof that you can have the ability to do everything else yeah. in life that anyone else can do. Mm-hmm. It's just having that management system in place, having the experience. Yeah. And then
0: hopefully... By raising as much money for JDRF as possible, they can find a cure
1: to eradicate it for good. What's the future for you now? What's in the pipeline going forward? Um,
0: On the diabetes front is to continue raising money for JDRF and taking on silly challenges. Uh, I've got something in the pipeline for World Diabetes Day this year. It will be the 102nd year since insulin was discovered and it'll be my 21st year anniversary of being type 1 diabetic. So I haven't actually told many people this yet, but um, I'm going to be running 102 laps of... No, 102 kilometers, which is 21 laps of Victoria Park. It just works out to be 102K to celebrate 102 years of type 1 diabetes, well, insulin being discovered... And twenty-one years of me being diabetic. Wow. So I'm gonna try and I've already spoken to about fifteen type one diabetics. Spoken to JDRF, they'll be down there. Um, and we're just gonna to talk to some food companies and gel companies and nutrition. So then as many type one diabetics as possible can come down, do as one lap or twenty-one laps, or as many as or as little as they want. And we're just gonna do loops of Victoria Park to Try and make, raise money for JDRF and bring awareness to
1: diabetes, type 1 diabetes. What date is this? 14th of November. Okay. You come in. I'll, I'll, in my calendar already, yeah. My it's guy. there.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, it's on like a Tuesday. So we're going to do it on the Sunday. Okay. And we're going to do it also on the Sunday because there's food stalls in Victoria Park. So we can get
1: good food all day. So we were talking about... These backyard ultras. Yeah. And you're creating your own one. In yeah. A sense. How many laps of Victoria Park? 21. Yeah, man, you're going to be so sick of that place.
0: Mm. But then there's like, you know,
1: there's coffee there, there's food, we we'll have a little table. Hopefully just, it'll be good weather. Will you do it all in the same direction?
0: I'm, that's what I was thinking. Because cause you know that you, you have to stick to the left, right? Because you actually know either way it doesn't matter. Because I find like sometimes if you're running on a certain slope for so long it hurts your feet. So then if you have to go into the other slope, but that wouldn't, sh- no, same direction. That's going to be epic. Yeah. I really um, hope that
1: you can get a, a, a core cool group of people there to come and support yeah. you. And I'm aiming for about 30 type one diabetics. That'd um, be amazing. Which would be, be Such cool. an event. But there's about 15 so far. And then people can come and just do as many or as little as yeah. they want. Yeah. It's like a 4.8
0: K roughly loop. So you can do as little or as much as they want. And just to ra- raise awareness and, Raise money for type one diabetes. And then big big news is so Molly, who set up Run Limited with me when we first started, and you know, one of my best mates, through the years of like, working with Adidas and my own communities, I always get asked, like, where do you go for, you know, good coffee around here? Or where do you go for shoes? Where do you go for clothing? What brands do you use? Where do you go for a physio? Where do you go for strength and conditioning? And pretty much everything that I upload on my social media about like other parts of life of running, so strength and conditioning, yoga, Pilates, whatever, and we would just keep on sending people to different locations. And we're like, this is silly. Like, there's so many places like it for cycling, right? You got Rafa, you've got loads of these communities and these these hubs, but there's nothing. There's no run hub. So Run Limited, which is Molly and I. We are um, opening a community-focused, high-end running store in East London this year, which will be a cafe. So you walk in, you get a coffee. It's like a start and a finish point to all of your races, all your, all your runs. Then there's gonna be, um, it's like a running store, concept store. So there'll be shoes and clothing and professional advice of what correct shoes and clothing that you get. And then there's also gonna be a studio. Which will have will will host events. We'll do yoga, Pilates, strength and conditioning, recovery stations, um, events and talks, and yeah, we're going to be opening that hopefully by the end of this year. We've been working on it now for about a year, and it takes a
1: lot longer than you think to yeah. open a business. It sounds like a massive undertaking for sure. Huge, yeah. Certainly, having actual some some physical square footage, yeah, is not cheap.
0: No. But there's so many run clubs, like there's a new run club every week popping up, yeah, which is incredible. It's like such an incredible thing, and I see it as a an opportunity for or a space for those people to have as a hub, so they can start and finish, they can use it as a backdrop, eventually we'll have showers um and a recovery station if they can you know start their their run their friendly run with their friends or in, in a club and they can have a coffee and then they can go for a run in the area. We'll give out different routes then they can come back. They can have a shower. They can have a recovery shake um, and then they can sit in and have a class if they want, like a
1: a recovery class or they can just use the recovery station. Yeah, it's a very around. interesting concept actually to think actually, yeah, like you said, so many run clubs, certainly in London. are hmm. well, meeting at a place... And they're sometimes refined to where logistically they can have a backdrop, yeah. for instance. Or even just a safe space, you know, if, if you turn up
0: fifteen minutes early and you stood out there on your own in the dark, doesn't feel very safe. But if they've got somewhere to come inside and check out you know, talk to other people that love running, yeah. And be welcomed and also host we can host events, you know, speeches, like talks from inspirational people. Um, yeah, we're so excited to do it. It's we're actually bored of it not being open now because we've been working on it for so long. Where in East London will that be? TBC. Yeah, it's finding a location is
1: probably one of the hardest things. First off, London is crazy expensive. This so, yeah. Now this seems like, we haven't touched on it in this conversation, but it seems like this is bringing together so many of your life skills from mm-hmm. from all the past jobs that you've done in your life, which you were telling me just beforehand, which I didn't think was actually a big part of the conversation, but now you mentioned this, yeah, I think it is. You talked about the different jobs that you've done throughout your life, including being in a band, yeah, being signed to a label in New York, mm-hmm. uh, touring the e- with a jazz band, yeah, toured Europe
0: with jazz band as a drummer, a drummer in the UK, played in Australia.
1: You had a motorcycle company, yeah. I've always been hands-on. Yeah, yeah, you've you've taught surfing. Yeah, skateboarding. Yeah, you worked in a ri- winery. Yeah, and then crucially, um, which I think is most important, you were the barista to New Zealand Jacinda. Yeah, Jacinda Ardern. Yeah, amazing lady. Uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, you must. I mean, we could have a whole podcast. I'm sure talking about her <laughs> and the stories that you have had doing yeah. there. Just briefly, though, what in what in what context? sorry, were you the barista for her?
0: So. I got trained by a company called Mojo Coffee, which is in one of the most um, well-known coffee shops in New Zealand. And it was on, I went off traveling for a bit. I came back and I needed a job and it was like a temp work agency. And they were like, oh, I've got you a job for tomorrow morning. It's for, it's for a week and you go. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I turned up and I was like, pretty sure this is the parliamentary building. So I went in and they're like, yeah, yeah, you're working upstairs in the in the coffee shop. And it was, it was ran quite badly. So, and because I've had experience in, in Mojo Coffee, as like running the barista stations or whatever. They then hired me to stay and yeah, worked there for about six months to a year.
1: So you served the PM of, of New Zealand coffee mm. on a regular basis? Well, she was pregnant
0: at the time, so not that of common. But all her bodyguards and all the other politicians. Amazing hey yeah so yeah taking and you know I absolutely love coffee, um I love people, I love helping people, I love giving back to people, and I find that with doing Unlimited and opening the store, I'm going to be in a, in a position to do that i'll I'll actually have the platform to give back and to help better. Obviously, I want to do everything for free as much as I possibly can because that's just who I, who I am and what I like to do. Yeah, but you have to. But I have to be somewhere to be able to do that. Yeah. And if I can, and and brands at the moment they're so good. Like they want to help communities. Like Adidas, Hoka, on all these like, other brands that are, uh, that are out and about Tracksmith out in London, doing all these things for the community. If I can be at that platform where I can then provide it to the my community and to everyone else and everyone in be a facilitator. Yeah. yeah. And for for Molly and I, that's what we really want to do. So that's that's the next next step.
1: I'm excited for that. It certainly yeah. sounds count me as being a customer to, to to buy your first coffee. Thanks. Um in your run hub. Yeah. Uh, and best of luck with the challenges going forward this year. Um certainly November it sounds like an incredible event running laps of Victoria Park yeah I hope it's a good day thank and you and I hope a lot of people turn up yeah thanks. and maybe hope maybe someone that. listening to this might even have been inspired to, to turn up yeah let's hope if, if, if they are make sure you you tell John T yeah Uh but I also appreciate thank you very much for your time and coming no, in today no, thank you uh, it's been great to pick your brains learned so much about diabetes type 1 mm. and um how it's affected your life but it's also great to see how the instance of someone nominating you to do a 5k run has led you to pretty mental in it doing some incredible things since yeah really has been inspiring yeah oh
0: well, hopefully we can inspire others to do other things like this
1: yeah i think so too mm. thank you john t thank you